0: I see dead people. It. Awesome. Here's Johnny. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Fuck you, too. Spooky scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrinking skulls will shock your soul, and seal your doom night. Spooky scary skeletons, speak with such a screech. Alright lads and lassies let's get fucking into it. As you've no doubt noticed, I haven't been uploading episodes on time and I haven't been doing that for a while. A lot of stuff in my life has gone all over the place. Um I'm still holding my shit together knock on wood, Um, but things have admittedly changed. The first thing, and a positive thing, you know, change can be good, so I I also want to say that there are, like, good things happening. It's not all bad. (laughs) The first good thing, and you might notice from the quality of this episode, is I am recording in my new little studio. I have this little room, it's probably, like, 10 foot by 10 foot, super closed in, the sound quality doesn't echo, it's super close, um, I have a nice little TV for Let's Plays and shit, I am not starting this episode by saying that the show is ending, that's that's the opposite, I wouldn't get a new studio room and and then immediately tell everyone that the show is gonna end. That's not the news that I have been waiting to tell people. That's just, that's not what's happening right now. So you can get that out of your mind. Lots of Pasta is not ending, but we are going on a short hiatus. I can't really handle the workload right now for several reasons, uh, both in my industry, what I do for work. Um, This is known as, like, busy season. I don't get out until, like, 9 p.m. sometimes. It sucks. I'm running out of time. I'm losing sleep. Um, I'm trying to be healthier in my life, but it's drastically affecting other parts of my life. So, I think from about January to March-ish each year, I kind of have to take a step back, and that's just because... You know, I'm an adult now, and I can't avoid my responsibilities like I used to when I was younger, more brash, and didn't care as much. I do care. I care about what I've made here. I care about the people I do this show with, Uh, even the people who aren't on the show anymore. I still, like, love all of my friends and all of the people who listen to this show. So, no, the show is not ending. I just have to take a break. And I'm not saying that there won't be any episodes over the course of the next three months, because you never know. I might have a weekend open with the right person at the right time and be able to do something and turn it around real quick and get a new episode out. But the truth is, and here's good news part two other than studio part one. I really want to break this place in. It's so cool. I have horror posters all over the room, horror memorabilia. I have fan art. You know, it's it's super... I've made myself a spot here. And I want to use this spot, but it also needs the right respect and the right amount of time. And I can't half-ass this shit. If I half-ass this shit, then the quality goes downhill. And you know, I make slip-ups, like, Star, you've had to point out before when I've let someone's name slip, and that was purely due to lack of sleep. I fell asleep while editing an episode, and next thing I know, I think, Where Am I's name, or Frowns's name, or Tenron's name, made it into an episode, and I panicked, because the point of this show is anonymity, and keeping everyone safe um, and free. You know, a part of this show is the freedom, and I think that's what people like about it. There isn't really a label, there isn't really a genre. We just, you you join us, you sit here on the couch with us, you smoke with us, you hang out with us, we read stories, we move on. It makes for a good night, it makes for a good car ride, it makes for a good road trip atmosphere, and that's how I want to keep it. I don't want the quality of this show to change just because my life is being crazy. So, good news number two, and the real reason why I have to A, sober up, and B, take my life a little bit more seriously, is because I randomly in December, right before Christmas, right around the time where 152 was coming out and like 154 was being recorded, I randomly just went out for a show. It's a, it's not necessarily community theater, but it's not necessarily paid theater, so I'm not getting paid, but it's like a really short and super dramatic show that I just randomly auditioned for, because I know I've talked about it on the show before, on Lots of Pasta, but I have acting experience, I have an acting background, a lot of us do, uh, many of us do, um, I've talked about it so many times, Frowns, Where Am I, Tenron, Django. Uh, Gestalt, like these are all people I've been in shows with before, uh, Doctor Ankenstein, uh, Sofa King, even even my brother, uh, Spum. Like we've we've all generated a love for theater, and that's where we've gotten our comedy and our experience and our timing. And I just think it's it's a big part of me, and I don't want to lose it. And for a long time, this show was an outlet. for for me for doing that. And I know Sofa King and Tenron, like, they've told me themselves that this kind of became an outlet for them, too. I know Tenron, like, looks back on the left-right game as, like, a serial that he and I did, like a professional thing, because we took it seriously. You can tell that we're invested in it, and, and I think the product shows. So I was cast in a show where I'm at, and if it was just some random B part or something that I didn't need to, like, dedicate a lot of time to, I probably would have just said, fuck it, I might not have done it, um, or I might have kept this going, you know, throughout the winter, but the truth is I got cast as the male lead of the show, um, which isn't tough because the male lead of the show is a 20-something stoner who lives in his mom's garage. So, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not necessarily ashamed of being typecasted. But what I'm saying is, I am in more than 70% of this show. I have over 50 pages of dialogue to memorize and perform in front of live audiences. And I just, I know in my life, at this crucial part in time, I need to sober the fuck up and get my shit together and nail this part, nail this acting gig. And I can't do that. I can't do it right if I'm constantly worrying about something that I just like to do for fun in the background, kind of nagging at me. And... I enjoyed my New Year's just getting into the, the New Year 2020. Like, 2019 sucked ass for me. So, I get cast in this show right before Christmas. My Christmas was cool. I hope everyone else's Christmas was cool. I hope everyone enjoyed that Christmas episode with frowns. And I immediately wanted to come into the New Year and just do a solo episode where I kind of talk to everyone and let every know, everyone know what's going on and where I'm headed Um, coming into this next year. So, that show is happening at the end of March, but I'm also, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, auditioning for another show in February. And like I said, this is a part of me that I've always wanted to go back to doing, because I haven't been in anything since probably like, professionally on a stage since, like, 2013, 2014, maybe. And I've missed it. I've missed the stage. I've missed, you know, the lights and acting and being around people and going out and doing things. And I know that sounds super fucking, like, introverted and lonely, but that, you know, that y- you know that that's not the case. I have a lot of people on this show. We hang out a lot outside of doing this show, It's not that I'm lonely or disregarded, it's that I'm passionate, and I'm passionate about the things in my life that I enjoy doing, and a lot of them require time, and a near professional amount of experience and articulation. And I think, like, I can't wholeheartedly give myself to this product and that show at the same time. It's just too many things to juggle with how terrible my workload is for the next, like, four months. So, what I'm saying is, the show is, Lots of Pasta is kind of going on a hiatus. And I'm not going to say there's a time where it's going to definitely come back. I'm not going to say that there's a time frame I'm even thinking of. What I'm just going to say is, there might be episodes here or there, and I want to aim to be back into a program by vague explanation this summer. Uh, Winter is bad. Winter is just tough. You know, uh, my last winter here in Pennsylvania was rough. It basically looked like the fucking apocalypse. There were cars abandoned in, in the storms that we had. It sometimes took me three hours to get home. Like, Winter sucks, and it sucks for me mentally too, because I'm bipolar manic depressive, you know? Like, I like to sit inside and whine about shit when it's cold and gross out, and I can't do anything. And as much as I aesthetically enjoy the winter and the snow, I can't full-heartedly say that I'm myself when both my workload is shit and the weather is shit and mentally I'm shit, so... I just want to vaguely say that the show is going to be back, uh, this spring or summer. Um, definitely in the summer. I'm alluding to the spring if this next show that I'm auditioning in February for, uh, doesn't work out. But, um, the show I'm in right now that I'm one of three leads in, um, that is happening at the end of March, so don't expect the show to come back full swing until at least April, and I think expectations, uh, generally, my rule of thumb is that they're a bad thing, so try not to have them, especially for something like this. Um, I don't want to lead anyone on, I don't want to string anything along, I don't want to make empty promises. I've always been very honest, very upfront about what this is and how I like to present it. So I don't want anyone to like misconstrue what I'm saying. Um, This is what it is. And I want it to continue being what it is full heartedly. So that's that. That's the real talk. Let's wrap that shit up family and friends wise. Some stuff has been going on health-wise with my parents that I'm not too happy about um, that has me kind of worried and losing sleep. So there's that to worry about. And friend-wise, there's been a lot of drama. And I just I don't do well with a lot of this shit. So there's just been a lot on my plate. And when I picked up this role in this show... You know, it's about a dysfunctional family, and I can't help but like emote to it and relate to it. So, I want to give it my all, and I want to do the best I possibly can because for the first time in years, I'm going back into the spotlight and I want it to count. I want it to be worth it. If I'm not doing this, something I love, lots of pasta I love doing. If I can't do this, then it better be for a good goddamn reason. (laughs) Like, I'm either dead (laughs) or somewhere else. So, just take that as you will. um, And we will have one really good episode, hopefully, to kickstart 2020. And hopefully come back at some point uh, to do some follow-up episodes before we get back into the swing of things come spring-summer of 2020. So that's all I had to say. If anyone has any questions about anything, if anyone resides in PA and wants to come see my fucking show, I might be willing to fucking say who I am and where I live and and all of that shit, uh, just so I can get some support. Um, But those of you who listen to the show and know me personally... Uh, Just know that that's why this is happening, and that's where I'm going to be, and, you know, just message me, talk to me, you know, I will, um, I'll I'll obviously be around to talk, just not around to record a two-hour-long episode that takes four hours to edit and upload online, (laughs) so um, I can't dedicate six hours of my week to something anymore, (laughs) so here I am. And This is episode 155. I want to uh, next move on by thanking everyone for being a part of this for the past three years. Um, It has honestly changed my life. It's become something that I am proud to talk about with people. I, I know going into 2020 there are at least three or four people I've been talking to recently new people about coming onto the show and they have big attitudes and big moods and I'm really excited to get them here and um, there are people who have been on the show already who have maybe only been on like an episode or two um, who are already like jonesing <laughs> to get back on and um, it's it's always been, A juggle, a balancing act to try and get uh, timing for certain people to work or getting the right person back after a long while. Like, I know Lanky Lucifer is probably moving soon. God rest his soul. And I've only recorded like one episode with him. So I need to get another episode on with him before he moves in the the coming year. So I, uh, you know, there's a lot of shit going on. And I'm going to do my best to kind of uh, make some stuff work if possible. Um, But I just want to thank everyone for being attentive and for wondering what's going on and messaging me and making sure I'm okay. And everything is, is fine. I am fine, and I know that's a bullshit term, but I'm not lying when I say I'm going into 2020 looking to be healthier, happier, and more fun. So, this is like a big kick in the ass to get myself moving, and I'm going to treat it as seriously as I can. So, that being said, that means that the more fun, irresponsible shit, like this podcast, needs to go wayside for a little bit. Um, That being said, everyone who is able, I have my... Piece right here. I hope everyone fills it with some nice baba ganoush and uh, takes a nice uh, rip to the doom. Maybe one or two, one or two nice rippies. Oh, that's some tasty sauce for this pasta. All right, this is a solo episode. You know how I like to do my shit. We just jump into it. Let me, uh, got bong water in my mouth. Let me quickly say, anyone who went out to go see The Grudge, uh, I feel sorry for you. I took frowns. We thought it was going to be fun. It wasn't, it really wasn't, it was bad. It was a, it was a bad movie. And I'm not saying the original Grudge was uh, a fucking masterpiece by any means, but it was better than that shit. I think Sam Raimi should be fucking embarrassed for having his name attached to such a product because it was laughable, but it's not like so bad it's funny. It's just bad to the point where I'm embarrassed or bad to the point where, get this, I really wish I went and saw Cats instead because at least with Cats, I know it would have been so bad it's funny or so bad it's good or at least weird and polarizing enough for me to enjoy, whereas Grudge was just like, unenjoyable like the acting was garbage even though it's like a bunch of people who are usually good in movies um so you know it's just like one big word for the grudge disappointing so um hey if you find that shit funny go see that movie maybe I don't know wait for it to come out on dvd blu-ray or rip it online for free and do a bunch of edibles and just laugh at it because i wish i did that but i didn't and i regret it anywho 2020 oh fuck you let's 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 do this let's fuck me So, uh, the story I'm reading on this episode, as you no doubt noticed from my creepy-ass thumbnail from, uh, what's it called? The PS1 game called, uh, Walt Disney World or Mickey's Magical Racing, Walt Disney World Magical Raceway, whatever the fuck, where you race through Disney rides. I fucking love that. Um that video game on the PS1. However, may I say, Jiminy Cricket is the stuff of nightmares. Uh, YouTube, that opening uh, cutscene of Jiminy with the poor shoddy CGI just way too close to the camera with his wrinkly-ass cricket face um, saying some stuff about racing or believing or magic or what the fuck, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's the picture I used. Congratulations, you now know what it is, uh, to see my nightmares. This first, uh, this, why I say first, I don't know, it's the only story I'm reading on this episode. As you probably know how I do in my solo episodes. Uh, I am reading When You Wish Upon a Star... Uh, this is a popular story from Reddit No Sleep. I believe it was a month winner or uh, honorary mentioned winner of the last couple years, but I know it's not old. I want to add a question mark to that because I think it was somewhere in the last five years, maybe. Um, I'd like to think it's more relevant because I'm trying to do more relevant shit. Um, that being said, this, uh, this story's a little long. It's cut into six parts, so I might as well get the fuck on with it. But first, once more. Gotta make it count, right? If it's gonna be the last fucking episode for a while, and the last fucking time I record for a while and get fucking stoned to the bone. Oh, shit. Then you gotta make it count, right? Oh, baby. When you wish upon a star from Reddit No Sleep. I've always suspected that there might be something wrong in my head. That I'm sick, twisted. I need to get this off my chest. I've never told anyone what I've experienced throughout my life until now. I figured this would be the perfect place to start with full anonymity. I apologize in advance for the wall of text. Here goes nothing. Despite coming from a loving family, I craved attention as a child. Wow, I'm already taking way too much similarity with this narrator. I suppose it was only natural my younger sisters were both born with special needs and I felt somewhat neglected by my family. I'd often do disturbing things to catch the attention of my parents. Force myself to throw up. Deliberately walk into the coffee table to bruise my skin. Cry for no reason. Lie through my goddamn teeth. Like I said, I'm twisted. I'm twisted too. It was obvious when I was a child Anyway, these stupid acts always meant that my parents would immediately focus on me, so my actions weren't without purpose. After behaving like that, I'd felt like the center of the world again. Like I was a necessary being, not just a decorative piece of flesh to pat out the family photo and the front desk on the front of the Christmas cards. As I got older, my parents began to Wise up to my tricks and started to focus On my siblings again, leaving me To sit in front of one of my Disney VHSs With a bag of sweets To keep me satiated That's what I'm doing and I'm 27 My favorite was Pinocchio, which is Ironic for (laughs) The recent episode with my brothers Pinocchio Do you remember that old song from it? The one where he tells you that your dreams will come true if you wish upon a star. When you wish upon a star. I don't know why I went into Adam Sandler there, but... My father got a new job when I was eight years old, and we moved to the other side of England. Oh, fuck! I've been missing the opportunity to do a fucking accent. I started a new school on a cold Monday in February, halfway through the school year. I didn't make friends easily. Children can be fickle, and although I was interesting to them for the first day, they soon grew bored of me and were irritated by how different I was to them. They started to ignore me, too. I vividly remember walking home from school on the Thursday afternoon, kicking the puddles that formed along the pavement and muttering to myself about how I'd show them that I was interesting and worth their time. I tunelessly hummed the song from Pinocchio the whole way home and decided when I walked through the door and was immediately greeted by Get out of the way, for God's sake, to see if wishes really could come true. I wish more than anyone could possibly know that I hadn't. That night, after being kissed goodnight and tucked in by my frazzled folks, I crept out of my bed and toward my window. My eyes scoured the sky, searching for a star to wish on. I didn't want to pick the brightest. Everyone would be wishing on that one. It would be a waste of time. I settled for one that was almost out of sight, semi-tucked behind the roof of that house that our garden backed onto. It looked like any other star in the sky, but had a touch of pale red to it. I liked that. The star was looking to stand out, just like I was. I closed my eyes and began to murmur wishes. As impatient as I now am as an adult, I had a far shorter attention span back then why wasn't anything happening why weren't my wishes for love attention and devotion coming true immediately why were my parents still snuggled up down together downstairs without me i got angry i cursed at the star telling it there was no way it could ever make my dreams come true it was a stupid worthless star no wonder everyone preferred to look at the bright shiny one instead I slammed my window shut, dragging the curtains back together, and stomped back to bed. I pulled the covers over my head to create my own little den in which to quietly seethe. Soon enough, I fell asleep. What I dreamt next would change my life forever. I'll just take a second to apologize for the poor way I'll describe this. It's still hard to relive it, even fourteen years later. My dream started off normally enough. I got a lift to school because it was raining harder than I'd ever seen. My mother nearly ran a red light, unable to focus, due to the sisters screaming in their car seats. I ran into my classroom from the car park. It was temporarily housed in a shabby mobile unit due to building work going on in the main body of the school. The windows leaked and the wind whistled through the gap under the door. I walked into the classroom and nobody lifted their head. My Wellington boots squelched dejectedly as I made my way across the sodden carpet to sit at my desk. The teacher came in and asked us to settle down and take out our pencil cases. I grabbed mine and felt a sharp stab in the palm of my hand. By the time I glanced down, The blood had already begun to drip onto the wet carpet beneath me. I yelped. The teacher told another girl in the class to walk me up to the nurse's office to clean my hand up and see whether I needed to go to the hospital. (laughs) What What a puss. We left the classroom and started walking. Along the way, we stopped into the lady's bathroom as she wanted to use the facilities. Coming out of my cubicle, I have a vagina. I looked down at my palm as I washed my hands. The blood mixed with water was the exact shade of the pale red that the star had been. I smiled to myself thinking of how childish I had been to think that wishing on a star would actually work when a cool draft played across the nape of my neck. I looked up into the mirror. A woman stood behind me, head tilted down. Although her hair created a thin veil across her face, it was sparse enough to see her facial details. She had the most prominent cheekbones I'd ever seen, though perhaps they were exacerbated by the hollowness of her cheeks. Her skin was grey and listless, looked stretched over the bones of her face. It was flecked with age spots and small pale red bruises, a thin, twisted mouth, Hovered beneath her nose, quivering. I gasped and turned around. There was no one there. It must have been a trick of the light! (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. Perhaps this cut was more serious than I'd first thought, and I had lost enough blood to make me hallucinate. I don't really care if it was real or not. I needed to get out of here and away from this bathroom. I turned off the tap and foolishly glanced up at the mirror again. She was there, but closer. Her head almost rested on my shoulders. I screamed, and she opened her eyes. Her pupils were mere pinpricks in the center of a bloodshot eye. She smiled at me, hot breath spilling onto my shoulder. She had three rows of teeth, much like a shark, each blackened with decay. They were pointed and growing longer before my eyes. She tilted her head slowly and reached forward through the mirror and shoved my chest so hard that I fell backwards. My head slammed into the hand dryer and I woke up, knotted in my soaked bedsheets and heaving dry sobs, because I had pissed my fucking self. My parents burst into the room and held me until I drifted back into restless sleep. Now, that alone would have been enough to terrify any eight-year-old child, but it was just the beginning. I woke up on my own. I heard my father singing and mother laughing downstairs and smelled my favorite breakfast Pancakes. I quickly joined them, forgetting all about my horrible dream. I ate my pancakes, staring out of the window. It was raining harder than I'd ever seen before. I put on my Wellington boots and rain jacket and bounced out of the front door, only to soak myself in a gigantic puddle. The rain dripped inside my boots and stuck my toes together. I liked the way it felt. Clammy. My mother insisted on giving me a lift to school on her way to drop my sisters off at daycare she ran a red light on the way and my skin prickled with a sense of deja vu pushing it to the back of my mind I ran to the classroom where I squelched my way to my seat the teacher blustered into the classroom shaking her umbrella out and told us to take out our pencil cases I took mine out as told and felt a piercing pain in the palm of my hand My heart steadily began to beat faster as the blood dripped onto the sodden carpet before I could look down. I must have turned a shade of white because the teacher noticed and told a girl in my class to take me to the nurse's office. We walked slowly. The entire time I was telling myself that everything would be fine as long as we didn't stop off at the bathroom. She paused outside the bathroom door. Please don't go in. I begged. Why not? Are you scared to be out here on your own, big baby? She taunted. You were supposed to take me to the nurse's office, not stop off and kiss yourself in the mirror. I fumed. That did it. She glared at me and pushed me aside to get into the bathroom. I wish I'd gone in after her, but I couldn't. Every part of my body felt as though it was superglued to whatever it had been touching the moment she walked into that room. My feet glued to the floor, my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth. Even my blood seemed stuck inside me. My palm had stopped dripping. A minute later, I heard a desperate scream. Not a typical high pitched Hollywood girl in a horror movie scream, but a real throaty scream from a terrified eight year old girl. It hung in the air, thick with desperation. I found myself able to move and ran to get the nurse. The girl was found in a crumpled heap on the floor, her head bleeding from a hard impact with the hand dryer. The taps were on and the plug was in. There was water all over the floor. The nurse said she must have slipped on the water and fallen backwards. She would fractured her skull and broken a hip. I knew better. I went to visit her in the hospital while she was unconscious. She's not dead! I wanted to apologize, to shout it at her for not listening to me to cry and hug her a myriad of emotions. In the end, I just sat at the edge of her bed, trying not to make eye contact with her sobbing mother. I hated myself. It should have been me. I walked myself home from the hospital stomping in the puddles as I had done that day before everything changed. I looked down into one and saw, I swear I saw, an old woman giggling to herself before my foot splashed her into a thousand pale red droplets. Not everyone can pinpoint an exact period of time where their life changed forever, but this is mine. I have many more memories, but I think this will do for now. I like it. I like creepy, insidious old lady. Reminds me of the old woman I always liked her. The old woman from the Nosferatu show. Um, The old woman from Dead Silence. Yes, Dead Silence. That's the one. Um, Creepy, creepy old lady, Big Smile tiny, tiny eyes, big, sharp looking teeth. Big mouth. She has a big mouth, that old lady. (laughs) She does, though. Just look at a picture. She's got a big old toothy grin. How how does everyone feel about my British accent? (sighs) Should I keep doing it? Should I not? I'm gonna keep doing it. Part 2. My dreams after I wished upon a star when I was eight years old grew more and more disturbing. I'd often have flashbacks to the woman who appeared in the mirror I don't remember the point when they started to spill out into my waking life I'd brush my teeth before bed and she'd appear behind me in the mirror Flashing her twisted smile, her gnarled hands reaching for me I'd take a bath and when I let the water flow down to the plug hole afterwards I'd hear a faint, low laughter from the drain Things started to appear physically too Climbing out of the bath, I'd reach for my towel and find it coated in gray, stringy hair. Fingertips would scrabble from the plug hole when I'd let the water out from washing my face in the sink, reaching for me. My parents, of course, thought I was lying again to get attention. Any physical manifestations of the old woman would conveniently disappear at the moment I ran for help. In the end, I learned to stop running to them, pale-faced and wide-eyed after an encounter no one would believe me after how much i'd cry wolf and i couldn't blame them she spilled out into every element of my life whenever i became lonely wishing for someone to pay attention to me even though i knew how she would thrive on my desire for company and would become more powerful the more desolate and unwanted i felt i began to consciously resent the time i spent alone of course this increased her desire to toy with me I'd walk near a television and it would crackle, turn to static. When washing the dishes, glasses would shatter in my hand, always piercing that same point on my palm. It began to make a pattern, although I would not realize this for a number of years. She would mess with the songs on the radio, crooning over the top of the latest pop song in a creaky sing-song voice. The worst incident however, was after I was sent to my room for swearing at my mother CUNT! I'd failed a test for the first time at school and came home wanting attention my mother was busy and tried to tell me to wait until she finished doing whatever it was that she was doing and I snapped, what's the fucking point? my father led me by the arm to my bedroom in the attic of the house and told me to stay there and think of what I had done he knew my tears were because I was being punished, but he had no idea how much. The attic of my childhood bedroom was a vast space with two crawl spaces on either side, which had doors leading out into my room. My parents used them for storage and kept the doors locked as some of the floorboards were missing. They became stiflingly hot during the summer and freezing in the winter. They had always scared me. My few friends and I were, at the time, obsessed with monsters and scary stories. When playing in my room after school, we would sometimes lock each other in there as a prank. We shared dark fantasies about the monsters living in there, creeping out in the dark of our night to devour us, and how we would slay them and become heroes. I think, looking back, That it is natural for a young child to be afraid of a dark, narrow space, especially when they daydream about monsters living in there. This fear is doubly justified when the child in question has something malevolent toying with them. After my father took me into my room, I sobbed until nightfall. I eventually crawled into my bed and pulled the sheets over, a habit I had brought with me from early childhood whenever I was angry or upset. I felt invisible when no one could see me, when no one could read my facial expressions. It felt utterly private. I had made the transition from quietly seething and weeping to taking myself off into the dream monster world. When I heard a scrape, I froze in my bed. Maybe it was just the wind creaking through the floorboards again. The room was silent for a few more minutes. I relaxed, and my mind drifted once more. There was a deep, scratching sound this time coming from the storage space. I wasn't hearing things. This was happening. I heard a squeak, the sound of unoiled hinges moving, I knew the door to the storage space had opened, a slow shuffling noise, much like the sound of a four-legged animal dragging itself across the floor, combined with a shuddering, rasping intake of air. To say that it made my heart jump into my mouth is a gross understatement. I thought that if I didn't move, didn't breathe, she wouldn't be able to find me. It was only my heart, it wasn't throwing itself wildly against my ribcage I felt light pressure on the bottom end of my bed as my quilt lifted the game was up she had found me I felt the breeze flutter over my ankles for a moment before I realized what was going on her hand took a sudden vice-like grip on my left ankle I felt the same piercing pain I had felt in my palm the first day she appeared in my life followed by the moist thick trickle of blood down the sole of my foot a metallic scent hung in the air I screamed as hard as I could and lashed out trying to kick her off of me which made me fall off my bed I landed in a heap with my quilt cover wrapped around my face and torso, my legs still bare and thrashing. My father, to his credit, rushed into the room the moment he heard me thud to the floor. He stared, ashen-faced, as he took in the scene. He didn't say a word to me, but took me into the bathroom where he showered the blood off of me from the wound on my ankle. I kept my eyes squeezed shut as tightly as I could, terrified of seeing her fingers groping towards me from the drain. I kept my mouth shut, too. I didn't want to involve him with the horrible situation I had landed myself in. After bandaging me up, he carried me to my parents' room, where I lapsed into fitful sleep. I didn't move out of their bed for three weeks. I rang my father this evening to see if he could remember this incident. He spoke softly. Jesus Christ, Anna. I didn't know you remembered that. But yes, that's pretty much how I found you. But you had your eyes clamped shut the entire time. I was cleaning your ankle up. You didn't see what had cut you so badly. It took some pushing to get him to tell me the full details, but he did in the end. Jeez, I don't know. I've tried ever since that night to convince myself that you'd rolled over onto the rock that you'd brought home from a trip to the beach, but I can't lie to you anymore. I'd never heard my father cry before. Now he was openly weeping, his voice shaking. Shit, Hannah. It looked like someone had bitten you. He had found a brown... Decaying tooth. That's pretty great. Oh, that was that was part two. It's pretty fucking awesome. I, I like I like this story a lot. I can't help but feel that someone like uh, Tenron or even Cannibal Siren would have would have found this sto- story pretty fucking cool. It's the uh, the downside of reading by yourself. You don't get to fucking joke about it and get excited about it with anyone else. I'm just sitting here giddy by myself in a tiny room. Part 3. This is going to be another long post, so I'll apologize in advance. I've noticed of some of the comments that people have been a little confused by my gender. I'm a girl. I only point this out to explain why I was in the girl's toilet in Part 1 and why my name is Anna as shown in Part 2. Here it goes. What happened to my ankle played on my mind relentlessly for months after it happened. By this point, the wound had healed into a small, pale, red scar. It would throb late at night when I was scared and when I felt alone. When I turned 13, I realized that the woman would appear to torment me whenever I craved love and attention. So I made it my mission to stop doing this. And I became a huge bitch. I filled my time reading books out loud to myself, acting out plays with myself, singing to myself, anything I could think of that would keep my mind busy and would show anyone watching me that I was perfectly fine on my own. I'd fall to bed most nights around 2am, exhausted, and sink into a deep, dreamless sleep, almost immediately. Of course, there were times when I messed up, when I let myself think about how it might be nice to have a partner to act out a scene with, or someone to tell jokes to. Most people say that when they see a ghost or a spirit, the air turns cold. Whenever I slipped up and inadvertently wished for a company, things were... different? It's hard to explain the feeling. It felt like most of the air had been pushed out of the room, and the air that was left had expanded and was thickly viscous. It surrounded me, suffocatingly warm. I began to think that maybe the woman was taunting me, not just when I felt lonely, but because I gave her the ability to, by feeling empty. This thought terrified me. I'd sneak into the kitchen and occupy myself by filling myself as full as I physically could. fucking me too. fucking... Specifically after, like, three good rips, man. I'd just fucking tear apart my kitchen, dude. I'd eat slice after slice of bread smothered with jam, bunches of bananas, noodles, ready-cooked meats, anything I could get my hands on. By the end of a binge, I'd feel so full that there couldn't possibly be an empty space inside of me. Then panic would set in. (laughs) What if I have to shit? What if she appears, and I'm too full to run? What if I ate too much, and she's angry? What if the few friends I'd managed to make at school didn't like me because I was getting fat? I'd have no company at lunchtime and might trigger a visit from the old woman who seemed to want nothing more than to hurt me. That'd do it. I'd run as fast as my little legs could carry me into the bathroom and sick up all the food. I know, it's ironic I told you in part one of this story that I used to throw up for attention. Now I was making myself ill to avoid it. All in all, though, I was doing quite well. Although I'd felt someone watching me, I'd not exactly seen her since she crawled under my bed covers. I relaxed. I began to go to sleep earlier. I began dreaming again. And she noticed... At first, it seemed inconsequential. I'd dream of falling over, twisting and skinning my knee, and I'd wake up and do it. In the mornings, I'd wake up and tell my mother to have a bandage ready, and by the afternoon, she'd wrap it around my kneecap, an incredulous look on her face. Things slowly, very slowly, began to increase in severity. It took a while to realize that if I'd shut her out of my waking life, she'd take control of my sleep fucking Mrs. Krueger over here. Franny Krueger. It went from skinning my knee to chipping my tooth, from chipping my tooth to slicing my elbow, from slicing my elbow to burning myself, despite the fact that I would purposely stay away from heat and flames when I had these sort of dreams. One day, I woke up after dreaming that I'd burnt myself from my neck to my waist and decided to stay in my bedroom the entire day, I lay in bed reading until about 8pm, when I would feel an air rush out of the room as my eyelids all of a sudden dropped. And I woke up fully clothed in the shower, the water so hot it scolded me. I screamed and jumped out, sliding as my foot skidded in a pile of stringy grey hair and what looked like dried blood. I ran into the kitchen and pressed myself into the ice of the freezer until the morning, mouth set and determined not to show weakness despite the throbbing, scorched skin of my chest making me want to cry. She was controlling me through my dreams. As seems to be the pattern with my recollections, I'll explain my worst experience during this time period. I had been up half of the previous night, binging and throwing up food, so by the time I got into school, it was already halfway through the first class of the day. I wandered, dazed, into the classroom and headed to my seat when one of the girls I ate lunch with spoke up. Ew, Anna. What's that smell? Have you not got any clean clothes, you fucking stink? I hadn't realized that I'd wiped my mouth with my sleeve after puking and had not changed my skirt. This wasn't an unusual outburst from the girl in question. She was undoubtedly the leader of our little group. And asserted her dominance by showing the other girls how horrible she could be to me and get away with it. "'You can't sit with us today. What a shame!' she said with a bitchy smirk. I spent the morning at a four-seater table on my own, bile slowly rising in my throat as I gave in to panic. Our school had a big playing field where the school's football and cricket matches would take place. Oh, cricket!' Behind this field was a small forest, which led to another field, and then some houses. It was an easy shortcut for me to make, to get home instead of walking a long way. As the lunch bell rang, I made up my mind to just go home for the day, so I headed towards the field. I couldn't control my thoughts. My mind was racing, and I was finally giving in to the panic of no one wanting to waste their time with me. As soon as I realized what I was doing, I felt the familiar role of warm air expanding around me and pushing in on me and whenever that happens, staying conscious feels like trying to keep my legs moving and my head above water in the same middle of a storm in the ocean I can't do it I opened my mouth to scream and passed out the next thing I knew I was in a tree I know it sounds comical, a scared little girl walking through a shortcut blacks out and finds herself up a tree but it wasn't maybe if it had been a small tree maybe if it had been a height that I could have climbed to maybe if it had been the type of tree that had low branches that you could use to pull yourself up this tree didn't I was sat on a small platform with no ladder In a tree that I physically could not have climbed well that's not true just go watch Mulan she uses a belt I had no idea how I got here it's the Mulan method time had obviously passed as the sky was a pale red I didn't know whether it was sunset or sunrise but I did know that I had to get out of here and get home I was facing inwards, looking at the trunk of the tree and puzzling over my location. I regulated my breathing and was about to shift my weight to look for a way down when I heard something scuttling around the forest floor below. A rasping, wheezy intake of breath at the sound of something heavy being dragged across the floor. Twigs popped and leaves crunched. As my mind boggled and my eyes strained, I stayed as still as I possibly could, not daring to turn my head and look over the platform to see what was making the noise. A sudden, sharp yelp of pain from the forest floor made me jump. The quiet, croaky snigger that I had heard the moment the yelp stopped made the hair on the back of my arms stand on end. I was straining my ears to hear more, when I heard tissue tearing and bones snapping. I couldn't help it. I let out a whimper. I held my breath and crushed my eyes shut. What felt like hours passed until I dared to let myself breathe and open my eyes as I turned my head. I stared into those red pinpricks of pupils in a bloodshot eyeball her eyes were watering at the sight of me she was crouched directly behind me on the platform like an animal on her hind legs slowly rocking her head from side to side I had no idea how she'd gotten up there her rasping breath hit me in a wave of fetid stench as she opened her mouth into a grimace she opened her mouth further and further until I was sure her jaw would dislocate it didn't it seemed to stretch she let out a soft growl which quickly grew in intensity and pitch until it was a deafening roar that made the platform I was sitting on quiver flecks of rancid spit hit my face, but I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move to wipe them off. She grabbed me by the joint of my right shoulder with that vice-like grip I had experienced a few years beforehand, and a white-hot pain coursed through my body as I screamed with pain. It was at that moment that I decided that I wasn't going to let her sink her teeth into me again. It took all my effort. But I managed to roll myself off the platform. All I can remember is that split second of panic as you're hurt, as your stomach drops when you know you've slipped and it's going to hurt. I knew pain would be a small price to pay to get away from her, though. It all went black. And once you go black, you never go back. When I came to, it was the middle of the night. I felt for broken bones with my left hand. I could tell without moving it that my right shoulder was dislocated. I had a deep cut on the back of my head, and the backs of my legs were bleeding. Satisfied that I was safe to move, I picked myself up and wandered home. (laughs) My parents were nearly hysterical. The girl who had been mean to me had disappeared. They were worried I had too. My parents took me to the hospital where I told the nurse that I'd fallen when I was sleepwalking and she said, Oh, that's nice, dear. And continued to read my chart. I don't trust nurses much anymore. I was quiet for the rest of that trip. We got back home and my parents installed a small gate at the top of the stairs that led to my bedroom so I couldn't hurt myself from sleepwalking again. My father looked at me as if willing me to tell him what had really happened i didn't have the heart i couldn't stand to see the look on his face if i told him that her mouth was open so wide i could see every single tooth in her mouth except for the one that was missing they never found the girl and that's okay cuz she was a cunt oh well that was part 3 I really hope people don't hate this British accent because it's an awkward spot to kind of (laughs) take a hiatus when I'm not talking like myself. Uh, But I'm dedicated. Part 4. I'll apologize in advance for this post. Oddly enough, I haven't been sleeping properly and exhaustion does not lend itself kindly to coherent sentences. I I will say the grammar has been a little tough thus far. It's not just the accent that I'm like thinking about when I'm reading. After I saw the woman in the forest as described in part three, she appeared to me sporadically. I could go weeks without experiencing anything, then something would happen two or three days in a row. I'd reach into a packet without looking and my fingers would feel an open, hot mouth. My mother would try to take family photos, but every photo of me would come out blurred or twisted, portraying me as a blank space, framed by dark hair, or as a normal girl with an unnaturally shaped smile or a warped cheek. She blamed the camera. I'd hear faint, ragged breathing from under my bed while I tried to sleep. I lost count of the small, pale red bruises that appeared on my body. When I was 15, I went to my first Halloween party. Every previous year, I had stayed home with my family. We would rent scary films and all sit together under a big blanket on the sofa, eating gummy worms. It was, ironically, one of the few nights of the year I would feel safe from paranormal harm. There is something about being close to your family and having fun that shuts out any worries that might be in your head. I felt guilty for leaving them, but I had finally been invited out to a party by the people in class. I was ecstatic. I put on far too much black eyeliner, coated my lips in purple lipstick, and donned a velvet-pointed hat. My mother smiled at me as I pouted my witchy face at the mirror. She told me she was happy that her baby was growing up. I sat in the car, nervously twiddling my thumbs as my mother drove around, trying to find the address. We arrived 15 minutes late, and she insisted on walking me to the door. "'I know how bloody clumsy you can be sometimes, Anna. I just want to make sure you get in safe.' She also wanted to check that there would be adult supervision at the party due to my proclivity to hurt myself. Sarah, the girl from my class who was throwing the party, opened the door. She was dressed in a low-cut red dress and had fake blood dripping from her fangs. My mother eyed her with disapproval. Oh, Anna, hi. I didn't expect you to come, she half-smirked. Her father descended the stairs behind her and greeted the two of us. After promising my mother that there would be no alcohol and that he would be there at all times, my mother left, issuing an instruction to be careful over her shoulder. I waved goodbye. I should have listened. The party was fairly typical, a scary film on the living room, snacks and drinks set up in the kitchen, and people dancing in the dining room. The table and chairs had been shoved to one side and were being used to store people's coats. A few more people were milling around outside, smoking and laughing together. I gathered my courage and went out to greet them. I stood on the periphery of their circle, smiling as they joked with each other, when Sarah came out and closed the door. She was grinning, grasping a bottle of vodka in one hand and a flat, boxed-up package in the other. So... Who wants to come upstairs and have some actual fun? She smiled, raising her eyebrows. I made to follow the group, and she frowned at me, questioning what I thought I was doing. One of the boys of the group smiled at me and told Sarah it would be no harm if I was there. She frowned again and bounced forward toward the stairs. Fine. It's not like I only invited her because my dad told me I couldn't leave out one person from the class. It's not like I had to or anything. She murmured, half glaring at the boy, half fluttering her eyelashes. I pretended not to hear and walked up the stairs. We all sat around in a circle in her room, passing around the vodka. It disappeared surprisingly quickly, considering there were only seven people drinking. It sounded... Someone asked Sarah what was in the box. She gave a lazy grin and pulled out a Ouija board. I got up to leave, but the nice boy who had stood up for me before smiled at me and told me to sit next to him. He told me how it was just a board game, something to pass the time. (laughs) My heart fluttered as I sat back down. Sarah had set up a video camera to tape us with the rationalization behind this being that we could watch it afterwards and spot anything that we might have missed in the heat of the moment. She carefully glanced at the top of a wardrobe so that she could see the whole group around the board. Soon enough, everyone's fingers were on the pointer. They did a trial run without me which yielded nothing but crude messages from the boys pushing the pointer, spelling out obscenities, and trying to convince the girls that they needed to take off their clothes. Everyone was laughing and having a good time. What could harm be? I added my finger to the pointer, and the atmosphere changed. The air felt closer, warmer. I saw people's faces change from looking bored and skeptical to looking surprised a few people frowned and a titter of nervous laughter flitted around the room sarah asked if there was a spirit in the room with us the pointer moved to yes people stopped laughing now and looked alarmed everyone vehemently denied pushing the pointer themselves I said I was leaving, but was told I couldn't. If I broke the circle, the spirit would take it as an invitation to stay with us. Sarah started asking basic questions, most of which got no reply. Apparently, the spirit was ageless, genderless, and nameless. She asked if it was evil. The pointer shot to yes. (laughs) Sarah snorted and said that it was one of the boys trying to mess with her. Surely, if it was a real spirit, we could see some proof. The pointer started to move around the board to various letters. I asked if anyone had worked out what it had spelt, but it seemed like everyone was too nervous to have paid much attention. The boy next to me had turned a pale, waxy, white color, murmuring to himself about shadows. My eyes began to follow the pointer. D. O. W. S. S. H. A. D. O. W. S. S. H. A. I gasped. Shadows. I looked down at the table and counted eight. There were only seven of us. At this point, the boy next to me whimpered, This set everyone else off and people were babbling, saying they needed to leave and asking Sarah if they could let go yet and Sarah didn't say anything. I looked at her as her eyes rolled back in their sockets. She tossed back her head and began to laugh wildly. She leaned forward and beneath their lids her eyes began to move around faster than I thought possible. I realized that they were tracing the increasingly fast path of the pointer, despite her lids being shut. The pointer began spelling. E-R-E-I-A-M-H-E-R-E-I-A-M-H-E-R. It was moving so quickly that grooves began to appear in the board, showing a pale red underlay. Suddenly, everyone fell silent. Sarah had, without warning, jerked her head backwards into the wall behind her and collapsed forward onto the table at the same time the power had failed we were submerged in darkness everyone at this point screamed and stood up groping their way towards the door we heard sarah's father holler from down the stairs that a fuse must have gone and it should be fixed in only a moment we heard sarah's window slowly open and slam itself shut We heard a glass from her bedside table shatter we heard each other's sharp intake of air it only served to saturate the fear we felt after sprinting downstairs the seven of us sat in the garden chain smoking lost in our own thoughts although the power had come on barely five minutes after we'd stumbled out into the garden we had not ventured back inside Sarah remembered nothing between blaming the boys for the pointer shooting to yes when she questioned whether spirit was evil and the power blackout, and no one reminded her. A few hours later, Sarah mentioned that we should go and pack up the board before her father spotted it. I remembered that we had filmed it, but kept this knowledge quiet. We reached the room and the rest of the group dropped to sit on the floor and watch Sarah pack up the board and the table. I picked up the camera and went into the bathroom to pay the footage back myself. Nothing appeared. (sighs) Sorry, I look ahead and then I see things and I get excited. Nothing appeared to be out of the ordinary until the power outage. The film showed a black screen with seven shrieking teenagers fighting to get out of the room. As the lights flicked back on, All was still for thirty seconds. Slowly, the pointer began to move. W H E N Y O U W I S H U P O N A S T A R It came to rest in the middle of the board. I fast-forwarded the tape until it moved again. M. A. K. E. S. N. O. D. I. F. F. E. R. E. N. C. E. W. H. O. Y. O. U. A. R. E. I hesitated my heart thumped against my ribcage and my palms were slippery with sweat I fast forwarded again until it moved A-N-Y-T-H-I-N-G Y-O-U-R-H-E-A-R-T D-E-S-I-R-E-S the light in the room, on film, flickered and I saw the camera shift. A lone, pinprick pupil eyeball stared into the camera. The focus shifted to her mouth, foul teeth bared in her approximation of a smile. She licked the camera, leaving strings of spit running down the lens. She moved, and the pointer moved once more. W-I-L-L C-O-M-E T-O Y-O-U. I have to post this. It doesn't fit in with the continuity of my posts so far, but right now I don't care. It'll be short and probably laden with typos because I'm shaking, my heart's in my mouth, I'll probably delete it in the morning. Context: It's now five minutes past midnight, I live in a flat on the fourth floor, my bedroom window faces onto a shared garden and a car park. I was reading some of the replies to my previous post and decided to take a quick cigarette break. I opened the window and stood in front of it, smoking. It's raining hard, so I didn't lean my head out. I heard a thump from outside below. I didn't think anything of it. I heard a second thump and stuck my head out of the window. I looked down and what I saw shook me up so much that my legs gave out. She was on the side of the building, clinging to the narrow ledge of the window below me in the rain unmoving wet hair plastered to her skeletal face i thought it might have just been a shadow but she started her ascent she climbs like a spider she looked up at me as she moved opening her mouth to bare her rotten teeth her mouth didn't stop opening it looked like her jaw had dislocated it stretched and distorted the papery skin covering her face like i said my legs gave out I dropped to the floor, shaking. I managed to pull myself back up and summoned up the courage to look back out, and she was gone. I didn't know where she is. I'm terrified, and I cannot stop shaking. But who? This is good. I like this. Part five. I turned sixteen in March 2006, after a strange year. Things of mine have gone missing. They were only little bits and pieces, a hairbrush, a t-shirt, a chewed pen. It irritated me that I couldn't find things when I needed them, but it didn't scare me. I'd go as far to say that it was a welcome change after previous events I'd experienced. I was given a second-hand laptop for Christmas, three months before my birthday. I used it late at night usually just playing solitaire or minesweeper when I couldn't sleep. On the morning of my 16th birthday, I remember my father walking into my room, placing a cup of tea on my bedside table and sitting in the chair underneath my window. I opened my eyes. I saw him staring at my desk with a sad look on his face. The laptop sat buried under a sea of papers on top of last year's school folder. I hadn't used it for a month. He asked why, and I told him that I had been sleeping better and didn't need the distraction late at night anymore. This was a lie. I didn't use it, because the old woman had found out how to use it to terrify me. She'd turn the volume up, full, and play me a distorted, crackling version of WHEN YOU IS A producer. even when the laptop was disconnected from the internet. Sometimes my laptop would turn itself off, and when it turned on again, I would see her on the screen. She'd be grimacing widely and squinting at me, and she would lunge for the camera with a feral growl. Of course, if I shouted for someone to come and look, the laptop would turn itself off again and would be back to normal by the time anyone got to my room. My father told me not to worry. It was just overheating and shutting itself down to cool. She caught me with that trick several times before it disappeared a week later. My parents felt guilty that a Christmas present that they had saved hard for and thought that I would love lay dusty on my desk before its disappearance, and had resolved to get me something I could not help but love for my birthday. My father had seen that I had been withdrawing into myself, finding it hard to talk to other people, He turned me screaming at night during my dreams and during the hours before bed. I was depressed. I felt like I was aging before my time. I had grey strands standing out amongst my dark brown hair and wrinkles developing on my face and hands. His solution was to get me a puppy, a companion who could reassure me without forcing me to speak when I clearly didn't want to a companion who didn't care if I hated what I looked like. The puppy was a black-and-white collie, and I named him Pippin, after my favorite fictional character. The whole family loved Pippin, taking turns to take him for a walk, to rub his belly, to feed him a treat. He became a great friend, someone I could curl up with on a late, stormy night, and tell all my secrets to without worrying about judgment he'd wag his tail even when i told him things that would have led to most people gasping and running away from me my parents told me i'd have to train him to be quiet while everyone slept they heard him snapping his teeth and growling in the middle of the night sometimes i didn't care though he reassured me sitting at the bottom of my bed as i slept Months passed and I was the happiest I'd been in a long time. I felt like everything was slowly getting back to normal. My sisters celebrated their 12th birthdays in July, four months after mine. We had all finished school for the summer, so our entire family spent the whole day doing whatever my sisters wanted. We went swimming, bowling, out for dinner, to see a movie, and eventually made it back home at nearly 11 in the evening. As I've mentioned before, my sisters have special needs, so I was not offended when one of of them had a tantrum due to tiredness and told me to get out of the house so she could have more attention. I worried that she was more similar to me than I had realized, but said nothing. I grabbed Pippin's lead from my room and headed out of the door. I slipped on one of my stairs leading down to the pavement and smacked my head so hard that I blacked out. I must have been out for a while, because I dreamt. At the riverfront, there was a well-lit promenade that we would walk up and down for miles. Pippin loved the exercise. I'd sometimes let him off his leash and throw a piece of driftwood for him to chase. As we arrived, I bent down to take his leash off. Standing back up, the air felt warm, tight around me. I felt uneasy, and my head spun. I bent back down to put Pippin's leash on, but he was gone. As I stood back up, someone was looking at me from across the road. She looked like a mixture between the old woman and myself, a terrifying image that is now permanently scored into my brain. She threw back her head and opened her mouth in the impossibly wide manner that I was accustomed to. The same crackling, distorted version of... When you wish a Pernister that had danced from my laptop speakers now oozed from her mouth. Fate is kind, she brings to those who love, the sweet fulfillment of their secret longing. I shouted at her, asking her what she wanted, where my dog was, why she was doing this to me. I stopped to sob and wiped the tears from my eyes. They were clouding my vision. When I looked for her again, she had disappeared. My dream skipped then, and showed a single, unmoving image of the tree I had found myself in years before. It was burning. I jolted awake. Still on the step that I had tripped on, my head was pounding. I didn't understand how, but my shirt was covered in blood. I realized that Pippin was gone the same moment I smelled a faint burning in the air. I took off running, not stopping to think that this could be a trap. I ran for what felt like hours, tears streaming down my face and breath coming in ragged sobs. I couldn't understand why I was finding it so difficult to move quickly, despite being a fit teenager on the Cross County running team, I could hardly catch my breath. I felt like my health was fading, but I put that thought to one side and focused on the only one thing. Finding Pippin. I entered the forest, shaking in the cool night breeze like one of the many leaves that surrounded me. As I stepped cautiously past trees, my feet stepping on twigs made the familiar pops and crunches that I had heard the last time I was here. This time, the noise was me. I was safe. I didn't need to worry. I just needed to get my dog and get out of here. I don't know how, but I knew exactly where to go. I had to head back to the tree with the platform, back to the place where she'd gripped my shoulder so hard that it had dislocated, back to the place where I'm sure I heard a little girl losing her life below me, hidden in the foliage. Walking there was instinctual. My feet somehow knew which direction to take me, even though I'd not dared to stumble back into the forest since then. I stepped past another tree and into a small clearing. I knew from the atmospheric change that this was the right place, that she was near. The air felt so heavy that it pushed my tongue down when I opened my mouth to gasp. I had looked upwards towards the tree that I had found myself in years before, but there was no platform. She stood on one of the highest branches, an incredibly thin and frail-looking one that was not much more than a twig. I couldn't get over how much she resembled me. Her hair had started to turn a dark brown and to fill out. Her body looked less withered and shrunken and looked healthy. I didn't understand. Her mouth twisted into a mocking sneer when she saw that I had noticed the bag she was holding. As comprehension flitted through my mind I dropped to the floor and sobbed It wasn't the bag itself that upset me It was just a plain Light brown sack I was upset because it was moving I'd found my dog He was yelping Clearly petrified I shouted at her I begged her to give him back telling her I'd do anything but she just rocked her head from side to side her foul smirk beaming down at me she lifted her arm and dropped the sack she had my worn t-shirt in her other hand and raised it to her nose to take a sniff as my puppy fell. I heard a crunch as he hit the floor a few meters behind the tree, and she started her descent, climbing down the tree like a spider as the tree burst into flames. They didn't touch her. I ran to the bag and opened it, hoping against hope that Pippin would be in there, shaken up but still alive. I don't think a description of what I saw would be appropriate. My dog was dead. I turned around to see where she had gone and saw her creeping towards me. I saw another smaller black bag tangled in the roots of one of the other trees. I picked up the bag that contained Pippin and, with a pure adrenaline rush, sprinted to the other bag and grabbed it. It was heavy, filled with many small items. I didn't have to open it to realize that she had stolen my hairbrush, my shirt, my old toothbrush, God knows what else. I felt sick knowing that she had touched them, had sniffed them. She took in my scent, my saliva, my sweat. I had become consumed by these thoughts and had forgotten to move. I was shocked back to reality when I felt a familiar, sudden, vice-like grip on my ankle, and my scar burned with a fierce intensity. I swung my other leg into her face and got up, throwing the black bag into the fire, consuming the tree Her low roar of anger shook the trees around me Her face seemed to melt twisting back into the haggard appearance I'd first associated her with I looked to the tree The light cloth material of the sack had been eaten away My things burnt Now just ashes I ran as hard as I could and did not stop until I got home The next morning I finally... The next morning my family and I buried Pippin. I told them that he had gotten loose from his leash during our walk and had dashed out in front of a car. I couldn't forgive myself. I slouched back into my bedroom when he was buried and saw my laptop on my bed. I opened it up and cried the hardest I ever had. Everything had been deleted except for a file entitled BCWYWF0306, which contained at least 150 pictures. I clicked through them, not pausing on the ones showing her stealing my hairbrush, t-shirt, chewed pen lid, not pausing for the ones which showed her standing over my bed, watching me sleep, long gnarled fingers combing through my hair. I stopped for the ones that were taken after my sixteenth birthday. The ones that showed my brave little dog barking at her, standing his ground against a hideous monster, protecting me. I closed my eyes, remembering how safe I had felt. When I lifted my lids, The file was gone. I haven't been online in a few days. Things have been getting steadily worse. I've stopped referring to her as a woman now. She is clearly not human. She is a creature. I'm sorry to everyone who has commented or messaged and has not received a reply. As soon as I typed this out, I will respond to as many as I can. I'm just so tired. On Monday night, I went out with a group of friends to celebrate a birthday. We had a lot of drinks. Monday nights are a good night to drink copiously around here. Most places sell spirit and mixes for a euro as well as shots. The night had been going well, my boyfriend and I had not had a good night out for a long time due to the amount of work due in university, and we were both enjoying ourselves. Perhaps a little too much. I felt like the alcohol was coursing through my veins, making me feel alive and invincible, making me want to dance. I grabbed him and stepped onto the floor, beginning to move as a new song started to play. The music flowed under my skin, fluid, liquid heroin. I didn't notice the lyrics until I found myself singing along under my breath. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star. As dreamers do. I stopped myself when I realized what I was doing and turned to my boyfriend with a stricken look. He looked at me quizzically and shouted in my ear, Are you alright? The color's gone from your face, Anna. I asked him why. They had put those lyrics to a dance song and he stared at me even more puzzled. He told me that they hadn't. The song that I was playing didn't have any lyrics. I was flustered naturally but thought it was a trick of the mind but thought it was a trick of my mind by this point it was roughly 2:45 a.m. and the club had closed at 3 so i went to use the facilities before we all be turfed out i stopped in front of the mirror to check my makeup i didn't recognize the person looking back at me the only way i can describe it is that it was similar to the eerie feeling you get when you see a stranger that looks very similar to a person that you know. To all intents and purposes, I looked the same as I had done the last time I looked into a mirror earlier that night. Sat at home with a glass of wine, put on my makeup as my boyfriend, laughed at my music choice. Now, though, something was off. My pupils looked smaller, a different color. I looked on in horror as my mouth stretched into a grin, out of my control. I tore my eyes away from the mirror and turned around to the cubicles. I locked myself in a stall and sat down with my head between my knees. I remember thinking that perhaps all those vodka shots had been a bad idea and closed my eyes to stop the world from spinning. The alcohol was making my eyes play tricks on me the music had worried me and now I was seeing things I felt uncomfortably warm and shrugged my jacket off letting it drop to the floor without watching all was quiet for a few minutes the dark my closed eyes provided me with was slowly stopping my head from spinning and I was enjoying the silence until my heart began to race I heard it thump against my ribcage as the metal buttons on my jacket clinked against the grooves in the floor as it slid away from me. A faint, wheezing inhalation of breath from outside the cubicle told me that I was not alone. I heard old joints popping and feet dragging as the door to the rest of the club swung open and slowly eased itself closed. I waited a few moments in the quiet of the restroom. The faint thump of the dance music from the club had ceased and all I heard from outside was bottles clinking as they were collected by the bar staff. Maybe someone had come in and spotted my coat on the floor of the cubicle and thought someone had lost it. I didn't want to think about how they would have to reach under the door to my stall to grab it. I'd convinced myself there was a perfectly rational explanation and opened my eyes when my attention was brought to the small gap beneath the door of my stall. The creature lay outside the cubicle, motionless, with her head pressed to the floor so she had a view of me through the gap. She wasn't moving, just staring at me with those pale, red, pinprick pupils, her gaunt face quivering, eyed frozen, completely helpless unsure of what to do When she moved in a way that chills my blood every time I witness it She opened her mouth stretching it so that I could see each of her three rows of rotten putrefying teeth I'd never noticed how black her tongue was before never noticed how it undulated in her mouth as she let out a faint rasping chuckle Her jaw crunched and popped as she opened it wider still, and I felt her rancid, hot breath suck the cool air out of the cubicle as I sat, paralyzed with terror. Her lower jaw rested against her neck as she finished opening it, and her tongue rolled incessantly. As has happened previously, I heard music coming from her mouth, that same distorted version of "When You're that sends shivers up my spine. I hadn't noticed her arm at this point snaking its way toward me, groping for my skin, something to grasp onto with her vice-like pinch. I clamored, onto the toilet seat. Her face was out of view now. All I could see was her emaciated arm twisting around the floor. It retreated, and I was left in silence again, until a sudden bang on the cubicle door jolted the calm out of me and my foot slipped. I fell to the floor and saw nothing but a shadow through the gap under the cubicle. In a state of sheer panic, I jumped back onto the toilet seat and began to fumble with the clasp of the small window behind the toilet. Her arm snaking reminded me of her climbing the outside of my building, and with a start, I realized she could climb over this door if she wanted to. Almost as if she had access to my thoughts, the toilet door shook. I knew she decided to climb over and get me, and that it would take her only a second to do so but with superhuman strength often associated with pure adrenaline I heaved myself out the window and dropped one floor into the bushes outside shaken I lay there shooketh I lay there and tried to focus on getting my breath to come to me normally not in short sharp bursts of fear I heard my boyfriend's voice and weakly called out for him to help me his face paled when he saw me a crumpled broken girl, wide-eyed. I'd badly twisted my ankle, and needed carrying. He looked furious, asking what had happened. I told him the basics of what's happened to me over the years, nightmares coming true, bites under the covers, Ouija boy pointers, moving on their own, so on, but never in great detail. This time I was honest with him, telling him I'd seen her in the bathroom. I told him how I was lucky that I'd gone into the cubicle with a window or God knows what might have happened. We were silent for a few moments as he carried me towards a taxi, and I watched him fondly, thinking about how lucky I was that he'd found me. Suddenly, his face paled and he bit his lip, and I asked him why, and he told me he was just worried about me. I asked him again this morning and he was honest with me too. He told me he went pale because I had bared my teeth at him in a twisted version of a smile and clearly didn't know I was doing it. He also told me that he'd checked with a friend who works at the club to see if my jacket had been turned in and mentioned to him that they should get some safety locks on the windows in the ladies' room. His friend laughed at him. Explaining that there were no windows in the bathroom. Each cubicle did, however, have a mirror. Huh. Huh. Well, that's a little weird. How the fuck did she get outside? Oh, great. Well, this is the last part, so I might as well just... Part 6. Forward. A warning. James M. Kane said, I write of the wish that comes true for some reason a terrifying concept. Truer words have never been spoken. Be careful of announcing vulnerability when you don't know what is listening. Be careful of opening yourself up to things you cannot comprehend. Be careful what you wish for. I've always been the type of girl who is easily spooked. It doesn't take much to send an inexplicable trickle of fear down my spine, smooth and flowing like a droplet of water from a loose faucet. The barely audible creak of a floorboard in another room when I'm in a bed at night or a sudden cool spot will be enough to set me off. A feeling that I'm being watched from a dark corner in my wardrobe when I'd blindly reach in to grab a sweater will give me the chills. A hunch that someone has stood behind me, their breath playing with the loose tendrils of hair around the nape of my neck when I'm at my desk writing stories of the shadows I see at night. An instinct that someone or something is patiently waiting until I fall asleep when it can ooze out from under my bed and hover over me, bending its skull close to my face to inhale my breath. A deep, primitive urge to flee, to drop whatever I am doing, and find somewhere safe and far away nearly overcomes me. I don't go, though. I stay. I brought this upon myself by opening my mind up to whatever was trying to get in. Running won't help me. Not when it's already too late. All those years ago, I wished for company, and my wish was granted, just not in the way that I wanted I've often wondered, though, whether it was just coincidence that the creature happened to hear me wish for devotion that night, that she happened to be close enough to hear my invitation. The more I think about it, the more I've come to think that she has been watching me for a lot longer than she has been physically around me. Each of the times I felt eyes trained on me as a young child and shook the feeling off, I think it was her, watching, waiting, commiserating biding her time. When I was younger, I would try to convince myself that the shadow I had seen from the corner of my eye did not just move, it was a trick of the fading light. I didn't hear a footstep, clawed foot scratching the wood floor from my living room. Mother told me about how old this house is. It settles at night. It's just a breeze drifting across my face when I try to sleep. Of course. I now realize that all of these fears were not irrational. My body was picking up on things I could not see. Bodies are good at that. How many times have you felt something like that? How many times have you felt like someone is watching you? How many times have you been spooked by an innocent room in your house for no apparent reason? Have you ever felt like there might be someone right behind your bed, camouflaged in the wall, waiting for you to sleep, only to brush the feeling off? I have news for you. If you feel like there is a pair of eyes trained on you, it is very likely that this is true. Run. Part 6 I feel thin. Sort of stretched, like butter scraping over too much bread. Illness will do that to you. So will an extended period of fear. I finished my university exams in mid December and briefly felt as though a weight had been lifted from my mind. I had felt a little ill during the whole period, but now relished my chance to relax. Unfortunately, instead of starting to feel better, I felt worse. Pain was growing in my lower back, in my spine, in my pelvis, under my ribs. I refused to go to the doctors for some reason, thinking I would be back to normal soon enough. I didn't expect it to get so much worse in such a short period of time. We booked a train ticket each to get home for Christmas, and by the time I realized something was badly wrong, it was only two days before we were due to travel. In my sick state, I adamantly refused to go to the hospital until I arrived at home. I knew they would keep me in, and I didn't want to be away from my family over Christmas. Those last two days passed in a blur. My boyfriend set me up on our sofa with a thick quilt and dim lighting. The glare from the light had been giving me not migraines. The glare from the light had been giving me migraines. I didn't move, if I could help it chunks of my memory have disappeared i remember stupid insignificant things like the way the bare skin of my legs stuck to the leather sofa even though i felt as though i was freezing cold the way i couldn't focus on my boyfriend's concerned face because his eyes were too bright and they made my headache worse eventually the day came to travel my boyfriend bundled me into a taxi the driver Worried, asked him if I was all right, if it might be better to just take me to the hospital. My teeth chattered as I slumped against the window, insisting that I needed to get to the train station. I needed to get home. I needed to get to my parents, to cool, soothing hands and proclamations that everything would be all right. The journey out from Dundee passed in feverish blur. When we stopped at Edinburgh, the train station to transfer to a train headed for England, I clung to my boyfriend and stumbled to the platform with my eyes shut against the bright light. He settled me into our seats on the train and headed to the buffet cart to find a bottle of water. I gazed out of the window, my eyes half closed and unfocused as the landscape whipped past. I couldn't force the words from my mouth to tell him that I saw her climb lithe and twisted up the side of the train I stared revolted out of the window as chunks of her hair blew loose in the wind past my window and soon I passed out the next thing I knew I was lying down in the back seat of my father's car he had come to collect us from the train station and after taking one look at me set out for the hospital doctors took my blood poked and prodded and checked my temperature they spoke and hushed voices to my father as they attached a white band to my wrist and made quieting noises as I weakly protested when they inserted a cannula into the crook of my right elbow I was admitted into the surgical assessment unit that night with what I later learned to be a very high fever severe dehydration, a bad kidney infection and an inflammation of the bones in my lower back it was pure agony I could not move. One good thing about being taken into the hospital was that the doctors gave me a cocktail of painkillers to keep the pain down, and the positive was that I met Dora. After visiting hours ended on the first night of my admittance, I laid in bed and cried. I missed my family, my boyfriend, my home. I was worried and scared about being kept in a hospital, and I thought that I must be seriously ill. I tossed and turned, damp skin sticking to the thin bedsheets, the cover wrapping itself around my legs as I writhed My head felt too heavy for my body, like the dull aching pain At the base of my neck was not the muscles going into spasm, but turning to lead, weighing me down against my pillow When you find yourself in such a vulnerable state, unable to move, you can't help but panic I rolled onto my side and watched the nurses strip the bed next to me and prepare it for its next occupant, Dora. As soon as she was settled into her bed, she turned to me and smiled. Oh, Poppet, you look terrified. Don't you worry, they'll take good care of you here. Dora told me that she was 86 and she had been in the hospital for more than a year, that she hadn't been out of it. She was chipper in spite of her ill health, and moaned about how she couldn't curl her shocker white hair while she was stuck in a bed with drips attached to her arms. She wanted to look presentable. Dora entertained me until the early hours of the morning with stories of how she had been a nurse when she met her husband more than 50 years ago. She told me of how they loved driving out to the countryside and camping, how she loved spending time with him and nature. They had two children and six grandchildren. Her shaking hands opened her purse and she showed me pictures of each of them. She proudly told me how her daughter was a lawyer and her son was a chemistry teacher. Dora said that her family was the only thing that had kept her going since her husband passed away the year before to lung cancer, and I saw her smile falter for a second. She grinned again, though, and told me of how she's been skiing in the Alps how fantastic it was. She asked me questions about myself, about my hobbies. I told her that I loved to read, especially classic fairy tales. She loved to knit, and promised to make me a scarf to keep me warm, when I realized in a few days, as she was sure I would be, I fell asleep, calmed. At dusk the next day, a new admission was brought into my ward. She was swaddled in blankets, but I could see how thin she was. I could almost feel the sickness radiating from her. The nurses fixed her pillows and settled her in for the night, and the woman groaned in agreement. Her breathing was labored, and I remember the moment I recognized it. My heart began to pound, and droplets of sweat collected on my brow as my shaking fingers pressed the button to call a nurse over. When the nurse reached me, I softly told her that I needed to move I felt that something was wrong, that I couldn't stay here. She wouldn't listen. She took my pulse and informed me that I was tachycardic, told me that it was probably just due to the pain, not the panic I felt growing in my stomach. She gave me more morphine, ooh, sweet, and I felt my eyelids flutter shut. I woke up to feel my skin crawling. The dull ache in my spine had spread to my neck, and as I tried to turn my head, a sharp pain shot through me. I knew someone was near me, but couldn't move to see who, so I strained my ears to listen. The silence of the ward was only punctuated by the gentle beep of the monitors until I really focused. I heard a familiar rasping inward breath, and my stomach plummeted as she moved closer. The wheels of the stand her IV bag was attached to scraped against the floor as she shuffled toward me The smell of decay wafted over her face I felt tears slide down my right cheek, making tracks from my left eye over my nose until they could join in one trail She lowered her face in front of mine and I squeezed my eyes shut She reached forward and placed her thumbs on my eyelids, roughly pulling them upwards. I felt my eyelashes loosen and fall. As she opened my eyes, I whimpered. She smiled. The black skin around her thin, chapped lips cracked and she moistened it with a black, greasy tongue. My breath came quicker. It felt heavy in my throat as I exhaled. I knew the morphine, the codeine, the cocktail of drugs I had been given could be causing me to hallucinate. She pointed to my IV bag and let out a short, rasping burst of laughter. I looked towards Dora and saw the fear in her eyes as she watched me. She was trying to call for help by pressing the buzzer, but her shaking hands dropped it and it clattered under the bed. The creature whipped her head to face Dora and she snarled at Dora's gasp of fear. The creature reached towards the point where the IV tube met my arm and twisted it. Blood rushed back up the tube, and I whimpered. Bubbles appeared, and I watched them float lazily in the liquid as she shuffled to the other side of my bed. The light on the tube was blocked as Dora rose out of bed and headed towards me, but it was too late. The creature reached under the quilt and placed her hand on my lower spine as Dora lunged towards her. I felt a crack and the bubbles faded out of view. When I woke in the morning, I was perplexed. If the creature had found me so vulnerable, how was I still alive? I found myself able to move and turned to ask Dora, but the bed was empty. When a nurse came by to change my IV bag, I asked where Dora had gone. Who? He asked, perplexed. The bed had been empty for the past two days. The bed in which the creature had lain was empty, too. The nurse informed me that its occupant had checked herself out. I was taken for an x-ray and told that my lower spine looked like it had been in a car crash. There was nothing they could do, an operation would be too dangerous. I slept in confusion and dreamt in high detail about the dark-twisting shadows in the hospital corridors being broken by a bright light. I spent my last day in the hospital sleeping, and my last night in a state of confusion. I wondered what had happened. I convinced myself that the drugs had made me have an incredibly vivid hallucination, but couldn't explain why I kept finding loose eyelashes in my bed, or what had happened to my spine. When I got home, the next day my mother helped me... Mother helped me shuffle to my bedroom lying on the bed was a gift wrapped in red paper with a gold bow stuck on top there was no note and my mother informed me that a very kind gentleman had dropped it off the night before saying that his wife had befriended me in the hospital before she had sadly passed away my mother had invited him in for a cup of tea but he had smiled and said that he needed to get back to his wife My mother had smiled back at him, and it wasn't until he had left that she had felt puzzled. I sat down at the edge of the bed and looked at the gift, pondering what it might be. As I opened the present, my eyes filled. It was a scarf, emblazoned with a picture of Pinocchio. He was smiling and dancing above the words, When you wish. A panister makes no difference who you are. Everything your heart desires will come to you. Well that was fun. Um I don't quite understand the end. I'm also a little um confused at why it just stopped. Um, Was Dora fake? I think they're trying to say that Dora was fake. That Dora might have been a manifestation of her... maybe her good thoughts, maybe, and maybe her good thoughts fought her bad thoughts, finally, and she got over it. That's my interpretation. If both beds were... if both beds were free... You know, it's, it's tough. There's, there's weird stuff going on in this story. And I can't really make heads or tails of it, really. Um, my, my only end note is I hope people didn't hate my fucking British accent because you just had to listen to it for the last fucking hour and 20 minutes. And, um, so that was when you wish upon a star and, uh, I don't really have anything else to say. I think old women in horror is a bit used up. I mean, as much as I like that lady I talked about, I think, you know, creepy, creepy old lady goes back as far as fucking, like, Hansel and Gretel, you know? Like, it's a little, it's a little played out, but, I mean, what else were you gonna do? I feel like they kept trying to say that, like, um it was like a separate evil entity, but it was like stealing parts of her, parts of her soul, maybe. That's tough to really define, but interesting to think about. Um, I feel bad for Pippin, man. I mean, I know like rule number one of dog or pet in a horror movie is almost all the time pet is going to die, but, you know, there are exceptions like, uh, like alien, you know, Jonesy. I think that's the cat's name. Jones. I'm pretty sure it survives a bunch. Um, so, you know, it's, it's tough for little old Pip, little old Pippi. He, he went out in a and blaze of glory, didn't he? So, uh, you know, there's that. Um, yeah, so that was a, that was a fun episode, fun little New Year story, I, I felt like I was, um, I felt like I gravitated towards this because of New Year's, and you know how you're supposed to, like, uh, do your whole New Year's wish thing, you know, my, my wish is to be less fucking sad in 2020, but, you know, you know, I'm still working on that, um, but, uh, Whew. That was uh, that was a crazy fucking story. I'm probably gonna have nightmares tonight of creepy old smiley women. I mean, the the sharp teeth and overstretched mouth thing is a little played out too. You know, like that's a discussion we've been having for I don't know, like 70 episodes. <laughs> is the needle teeth is needle teeth necessary? Can't you just be Can't you just be creepy? Like I felt like if this was a movie wouldn't it almost have benefited from being, like, PG-13? You know, like, this doesn't really need a rated R. Um, I feel like um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was equally as creepy as this story was. Combine the the creepy old women motif with uh, the ghost following you wherever you go motif, and, you know, you you have a pretty grudge, kid-friendly movie. That's better than the Grudge twenty nineteen. That shouldn't exist. Anyway, that was the story, and this was episode one fifty five, Captain Death Solo. And uh, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it because I have to say it. Uh, s- snooze, snooze you later, fuckers. <laughs> I'll be back when I'm back. We get there when we get there. Um, But no, seriously, take care, everyone. I hope uh, early 2020 is good on everyone. I want to see everyone, uh, you know, commenting on episodes in the future. Um, There might be some surprises here or there, um, you know, to, to keep people satiated, perhaps, as the months go by. I might not disappear from the Earth. Um, so you never know. Keep an eye on the Facebook. Keep an eye on the YouTube. You never know what you're going to see. Wink. Fucking wink. Anyway. This has been Captain Death, episode 155. Lots of pasta. As always, stay spoopy. away to the days end when the moon is high. to land until we stand at the shore